How many of you know what this area over here was built for? Like behind George's piano, not George's, but the church's, that George uses. What was this area back here built for? Just say it. It's a choir loft, right? How many of you grew up going to a church where there was a choir of any kind? How many of you sang in a choir? God bless you. I can't carry it to and save my life, but I have so much respect for people who sing in a choir. Now, one of the first things you learn when you join a choir is that your voice affects other people. That's why choirs are divided into what? Altos, sopranos, you have your section, right? And heaven help you should you sit in the wrong section, because singing with your particular voice may not be as much of a blessing to people who sing differently than you, than it is the people that really sing like you. I love that Inglewood has this choir here. If you go back there after the service, you can see they have songbooks, they have hymnals, they have all these kind of reminders of this ministry and what it meant to this congregation for a very long time. The vision that was just articulated in the scripture that we read for us used words like harmony and with one voice. So as I was studying this week, I started to think about the choir. And I think this is one of God's key desires for his church. Not just in our polarizing times, although that makes a lot of sense in context. God wants for the church to have a voice that is united, that is clear, that sounds beautiful to people inside and outside the church. You don't have to go to a church to appreciate how beautiful a choir can sound. And similarly, when you are outside the church and you hear people in the church fighting with each other and experiencing disunity and not having that kind of one voice that the Apostle Paul writes about, it's the opposite of beautiful. It's ugly. It's not something that people want to move toward. One of my convictions after spending six years here as the pastor of Bethany Eastside is we have a remarkable legacy of permanent, of singing with one voice. We're six different churches spread out across the city. We do ministry in very different ways. And yet we have this history and this tradition of being able to stay united even in tough times. We have this ability to kind of proclaim the gospel in such a way that it makes sense to the people in each location. And yet we're all kind of linking arms together in this beautiful way. It doesn't mean our fellowship is perfect, far from it. If you're looking for the perfect church, it's standing right next to the unicorn. But at Bethany, we've been able to enjoy the gifts of unity and harmony for a long time, which, as the text points out, are gifts from God. So I think one of the challenges for us as a community now, as we enter into the season ahead, as we continue to discern and do life and ministry in our COVID times with all the realities around us, is we need this unity and harmony more than ever. Many of you have been a part of churches that go through big transitions, like the one I just mentioned, where we're transitioning our senior leader. That can be a very divisive time. And so at the very least, I would invite you just to cover Bethany with your prayers. Ask God to continue to give us the gift of unity, not just so we can enjoy it, but so that the people who have not yet become part of our church, that they see a group of people who are very different and yet united, in our focus on Jesus Christ, in our ability to sing with one voice, to proclaim the good news of the gospel in such a way that is beautiful and compelling on others. That's, I think, the vision the text gives to us today. So we're going to look at this one another statement from the text, welcome one another today. And we're going to look at it in three different parts. So let me pop up this outline for you guys. Where it comes from, it being harmony. Where does harmony come from? What it does and what it leads to. Three-part outline, where it comes from, what it does, and what it leads to. 
So first, let's look at uh, the first verse that Garrett read for us, verse 15, excuse me, verse 5. <clears throat> the Apostle Paul writes, May the God of steadfastness and encouragement grant you, gift you, the ability to live in harmony with one another in accordance with Christ Jesus. This answers the question right at the top. Where does harmony come from? Where does unity come from? Where does the ability as a church to move forward together, not in uniformity, but in unity? Where does it come from? It is a gift from God. That's it. We can't manufacture or architect our own sense of unity and harmony. It has to come from God. It has to be a gift. And I have served in churches that were not united, that were very divided. And maybe that's one of the reasons that I think stewarding this gift of Bethany's unity is so vital. Many of you have been in churches that have fallen, that have closed their doors. You know how hard it is to see people tugging at each other and trying to kind of make something work. We can hold together, we can do this, we can make it happen. But if it is not given by God, if that unity and that harmony is not blessed by God, no human will can make it happen. This gift of harmony comes from God, and we know this because Jesus talks about this in John 17. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to John uh, chapter 17. I'll read verses 20 through 23 for us. This is Jesus' prayer for the church, for the people of God. Listen to this. He says this, I ask not only on behalf of these, but also on behalf of those who will believe in me through their word. In other words, the people who aren't here yet. That they may all be one. As you, Father, are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given them, so that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become completely one, so that the world may know that you have sent me and love them even as you have loved me. This is Jesus' desire for the church, that we would receive this gift of unity and harmony from God, and that we would steward it well. Only God can produce and animate this. So here's your practical step. Here's your homework. Here's something to think about. Where do you need the harmony of God in your life? We need it in our church. I believe we have a mostly united vision. I believe that we have diversity, but we also have unity in how we're thinking about our future together. But where do you need God's unity to be expressed in your life. This harmony, this thought, this making one. Jesus is talking about the Trinity. He's talking about He exists as the Son, with the Father, and with the Holy Spirit, and they are a community together. Where do you need that in your life? Do you work in an office that is divided? That, that doesn't know what to do with itself since you all went online? And it's, it's hard to build unity when you're just seeing people on screens. Pray for your office. Are you in a neighborhood where people have come and gone? There's been tons of transition lately. I, there's, there's a new family over there, and I haven't met that person yet, but they've been here a really long time. What would it look like to pray for unity and harmony in your neighborhood? Or in your school? Or in your kids' school? We love to lament this broken, fractured, divisive time that we live in, but what if the church was regularly praying what if God started to move in our bigger world, the broader world, even people outside the church to say, you know what, enough with this divisiveness. I want y'all to be like a choir, a good choir. What if that's the vision that God has for you to bring about in your company, in your kids' school, in your neighborhood? What if? Add that to your prayer list, looking for opportunity 
to build this unity because it comes from God. So that's the answer to the first prompt. Where does this come from? It comes from God. Now let's talk about the second prompt, what it does. What does this harmony do? This is the very next verse, 15 verse 6. So that you together, excuse me, so that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is writing this to a group of people in Rome who had formed the church together. Most scholars believe that the letter to the Romans was written around AD 57, AD 58, meaning there have been several generations of Christ followers at this point. Right? So Jesus is killed and resurrected kind of around AD 0, assuming that timing is all correct. Every generation lasts 20 to 30 years. You've had kind of the first generation of Christ followers, and then their children, and now their grandchildren are stepping into this leadership, this role of leading this church. And so what does Paul tell them to focus on? Keep up what your parents kept up. Do it because they did it. No. Do this because this is what nice people do in the city of Rome. No. He's recognizing the reality and the challenge of doing ministry in a cosmopolitan secular city that, for all intents and purposes, was the zenith of civilization at the time. Does that sound familiar? One of my assumptions about the Seattle area is we like to pat ourselves on the back for being the, the zenith of Western civilization. I just think we think we've arrived and everyone else will kind of catch up to us someday. How arrogant of us. But I believe that is part of kind of the ethos and the makeup of where we live. And like the church in Rome, it is an opportunity for the gospel to break forth. To remind people that we are not the zenith of our civilization. That we will fail and we will struggle. And so, what does this harmony do? It brings glory to God in dark places. It does. When the people of God experience the unity of Christ, when we sing together like a choir, when we're united around a vision for children's ministry, when we are worshiping together, when we are meeting together in small groups, these are not just activities for our social conditioning. These are things that allow us to demonstrate the unity of God. This is about the glory of God. When we say that we're committed to being a church that exists in harmony, that we want to welcome people, that we want to do a really good job of receiving people, this is not our ability to pat ourselves on the back and say, look, we're doing a great job, we're a nice church. I'm disinterested in building a nice church. I'm interested in building a church that is passionate for the gospel, that is focused on Jesus' mission to reach our neighbors, to bless and serve our city, to speak into the conversation around justice and reconciliation. Are you wanting that too? I am. I don't want to just be a church that gets along with other people. I want to be a church that proclaims the gospel to bring glory to God. And when we proclaim the glory of God, when we participate in God's glory, as, as y'all do, I'm so tickled by this every single week, when we sing together, guys, I am reminded of the glory of God. And somebody's sitting there thinking, like, you haven't heard me sing, Bubba. Your voices together sound so beautiful. And as we see throughout the scriptures, when God is at work in a community of people, when he is birthing his glory, bringing about his glory, other people are drawn to it. Matthew chapter 3, when Jesus is baptized at the Jordan River, we, we preached on this a few weeks ago. There's a crowd of people surrounding this moment, right? When the heavens part and the Spirit of God descends on Jesus like a dove and a voice booms out over the expanse of the river, this is my son, the beloved, in whom I am well pleased. People left that moment different because of the glory of God being poured out over them like a river. 
When you participate in the glory of God, when you worship, when you serve, when you bring your kids, when you teach your kids the faith as imperfectly as we are all teaching our kids the faith, you are participating in the glory of God. And you know what? That's compelling to others. People see that and they go, what's going on there? What's going on with, with your kids? How are, how are they so kind and thoughtful to others? What's going on? You, you, at your work, at your school, you're just, you're gracious to other people. That You're forgiving. Where does this come from? We bring glory to God. We demonstrate His unity by showing other people that this is about giving Him glory. This is not about us feeling good about ourselves or patting ourselves on the back. This is about the glory of God. Finally, we need to talk about what is the glory, what is this harmony, this welcome leading to? It's got a destination. It's got to be going somewhere. And the Apostle Paul says this, Welcome one another. Say that with me, church. Welcome one another. Therefore, just as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. There it is. We can't get away from it. The glory of God, it keeps coming up. It keeps coming up. Now, why would Paul say this to the church in Rome? Welcome one another. If you read the beginning of Romans 14 and Romans 15, he's addressing divisions in the church. I, I don't think this will shock any of you, but churches do divide. We're actually, unfortunately, quite skillful at dividing ourselves. So Paul, at the beginning of Romans 14, is talking about a division between people based on their diet. Whether they eat meat, whether they eat vegetables, those are real divisions. At the beginning of chapter 15, he's talking about people who are mature in Christ, who've been following Jesus for a while, and people who are brand new to the faith. And he's telling the church, don't divide. Support each other. Take care of each other. Make sure, make sure there's room for people who are baby Christians and for Christians who've been following Jesus a long time. Now, that word welcome in the Greek, it means to accept, to admit, to, to, to create space for somebody else. I thought of like a movie ticket. I've been to a movie in two years, but if I did, I would get a ticket and I would walk into a movie theater and they would punch it for it and you would go to your seat. That's how you gain admission to a movie theater. Unless you're in middle school and your friends meet you on a fire we, we need to admit one another in Christ. That's what Paul, Paul is saying. That's what this is leading, leading, leading to. He's creating, creating an opportunity for regardless of political affiliation, regardless of how they see devices, devices issues like COVID, regardless of effort they may make, we need to be to make it says it says an M on M. We may not have a lot of things you want you want here. You have, you have a place at the table to Jesus, Jesus, Jesus Christ. Outside, outside of churches, churches that can't do that well, that well they, go, they go, no way. There's no, there's no, I can't, I can't be that far. I'm a part of this, this is too intimidating. There's no way. No way. And one of the ways we found our pathway through this is Bethany, and this is unique to us, I'm not saying that this is unique to us, is this philosophy, this philosophy that some of you heard, where we say, it's an unity, and not a social liberty, and it's cherished. And, and we're not making that up. That comes from uh, a theologian from the, Refor from the Reformation. It was a statement about helping churches figure out how to do life together. And I would simply say this statement. Let us major in the majors. Let us focus on who Jesus is and the proclamation of the gospel. And if we believe different things about the role of leadership in the church, if we believe different things about baptism, if we believe different things about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, all these things that, guys, I'm sorry, the churches have used to beat people up in 16 different ways over thousands of years. If we can major in the majors and have clarity around it, then a lot of other things we can work it, we can work it out. 
We can't. I believe every church I've ever served has had kind of theological like ponderings, like, huh, I wonder why it's like that. And as a pastor, I have people ask me these questions, and I'm grateful to have a conversation. The church I served in Colorado, the questions were always about baptism. That was just the theme. People would come, they'd visit our church, they'd say, hey, it's nothing to be with you. Let's go to lunch. Okay, great. First topic, what do you guys think about baptism? I don't know why it was like that, but that's how it was in that church. In this church, it's around the gifts of the Spirit. Speaking in tongues, interpreting in tongues, all these kinds of things. And my theory is, people bring into a church the places where they've been beat up. Where they have had another church tell them, no, we don't do that here. And, and I've got my limits, and we as a church have our limits. Remember, we're a church that's about Jesus. So I'm not up here preaching universalism. I'm not up here preaching prosperity gospel. That's not happening. But I welcome those questions. We need to have dialogues about why someone cares so much about the gifts of the Spirit. And I'll just admit this too. I used to be very dismissive about these kind of things because I felt like, oh, that's inside baseball. Like, who in the world outside the church cares about those things? I wasn't being a very good pastor when I would say that or I would think that when I was sitting with people. My job, my calling, my role is to help steer us toward an opportunity to say to someone, I hear what you're saying. I think you very much can fit here. I think you very much can belong in Bethany. If we're willing to major in the majors and say, look, the person and work of Jesus Christ are central. The teaching of the scriptures are central. These are not things we're going to move from, nor have we moved from them in 106 years of our history. And all the other stuff around that, the gifts of the Spirit, and what do we do with baptism, all these important questions, we can find room to accommodate each other. I want to say this very briefly about the idea of acceptance, welcome one another, accept one another. If you look at the New Living Translation, it says accept one another as Christ accepted you. Acceptance is a very broad term, and it's probably a value that we would say most people in the Pacific Northwest are like, oh yeah, we're an accepting place, we're an inclusive place, we want to make sure that we accept everybody, and I'm all for that value to a degree. The way the Bible makes the case for acceptance is very different than the way acceptance is formed in our world. Key example of this is John chapter 8. At the beginning of John chapter 8, Jesus has an encounter with a woman who's been caught in adultery. It is a raw moment, a scarring moment for her. She's drugged out from wherever she was. I picture her hair disheveled. She barely has any clothes on. There's this angry mob of men who pull her in front of Jesus, throw her down in front of him. It's a brutal scene. And Jesus has the wherewithal and the compassion to look at her in that moment, to treat her like a human being, to diffuse the anger of the crowd, and to minister to her. So on the one hand, Jesus accepts her where she is. You don't hear Jesus saying to her, I'll talk to you after you get some clothes on. Go clean yourself up and then we can have a conversation. He doesn't do that. He doesn't do that to me. He doesn't do that to you. Where you are is where Jesus meets you. But what he does do with this woman, and this is where it's very different than the case that is made in our popular culture around acceptance, is he says to her, I don't condemn you, but if you know it, say it with me. Go and sin no more. The case that the Bible makes for acceptance is not a blanket adoption of everything, and you just keep being you, it's good. The Bible says, don't continue this destructive path. 
Jesus is essentially saying to this woman, this way of life, sleeping around, it's going to kill you. It's going to destroy your soul. Don't hurt yourself anymore. If you've ever walked with someone through addiction, you know what I'm talking about. When you say to someone, your drinking is killing me. This, this addiction to pornography, it's killing me. In the Christian framework, the framework presented by Jesus Christ, acceptance means walk in here, be a part of our church, sit at table, have a conversation. We want you to be here, but we will never, ever leave you in your sin and in your peril because we love you too much. It's in the context of relationship. There's a ton of nuance to this, but I just want to be clear about that. When we talk about welcome and we talk about acceptance, it looks very different than the way our world talks about it. Because there's an upward trajectory, not towards some moral high ground that somebody came up with, but toward the person and work of Jesus. Because he said to people, in their brokenness and in their pain, I love you where you are, now come here with me. Don't stay there. Come here with me. That'll kill you. Come over here. Walk forward with me. And that is our commitment as a church. Is that easy? Is that convenient? No. It's messy. It can be painful. If you walked with people that you love through addiction, you know there are fewer pains than trying to help someone break that addictive cycle. And yet, we who've been rescued by Jesus must remember how we were rescued, so that we can then be a part of the rescue of others. So here's just a couple of things, practical steps to consider before we turn to our discussion questions. The first consideration is, straight from the scripture, welcome others as Christ welcomed you. How did Christ welcome you? I had some really you know, challenging moments this week thinking about how Christ welcomed me. When I was a middle school student, when I was foul-mouthed and angry at the world and going through all kinds of stuff, Christ welcomed me. He presented himself to me in kind of the first part of my conversion in a powerful way. And then later on in high school, kind of the second part of my conversion, he spoke to me in my, my goodness, my pursuit of what I would call uh, kind of secular hedonism, doing good things to feel good about myself. He punctured through those things to accept me and welcome me and say, you know what, you, you think you're doing fine over here, but I want you Go and sin no more. I have more for you. How did Christ welcome you? Where were you in life when he whispered those words to you like, come, come follow me. Come be with me. Who introduced you to Christ? Who told you the good news of the gospel? Do you remember? If you have the opportunity to this week, thank God for that person. If they're still around, call them up and say, hey, this is random, but we were talking about this in church, and I just want to say thank you for telling me about Jesus. Remember how Christ first welcomed you. Secondly, pray for the unity of your church. I, I, I don't feel like we have tons of divisions. I don't think this leadership change is going to create these huge you know, headwinds and all that kind of thing. I don't know. But I believe that if the church is praying now for unity and for us to be together in Christ, that can only serve the glory of Christ. So join me in praying for the unity of your church. Pray for unity among our leadership team, among all the different people who are leading in our ministries. Pray for our staff, that God will continue to bring this harmony, this singing together like a choir, into his church, for his glory. 
And finally, the last thing I would encourage you to do is, is know your own story in the midst of this. Maybe part of your story is, yeah, I got beat up in a church because I didn't agree with them theologically. I'm sorry. I wish the church didn't do that, but we have. How can God lead you to minister out of that? If you've been a part of a church that, that fell, that collapsed, what lessons did God teach you to bless and serve this church? If you're a new Christian, oh my gosh, thank you so much for being here, for investing in this church. Help us learn from your perspective. What are we missing? How can we see more clearly the opportunity to welcome people in Christ? Reading about the, the church in Rome is so amazing to me because the church in Rome was witnessing and ministering and sharing the gospel with people from every walk of life. Because all roads lead through Rome, right? So there are people from all over the world coming to Rome to worship pagan gods and goddesses and then someone interrupted them and told them about Jesus and they went off and joined the church and their life was transformed. And we live in a similar time, in a similar place. Where we can have that conversation, where we can be the turning of the page for someone where they say, you know what, I came to Seattle to make a ton of money and to work for this big company, but instead, my friend told me about Jesus and now I'm here. Like, what a glorious story that would be if God would write more of those stories in our minds for our neighbors, for people that we meet when we're at school, for our colleagues. I'd love that. Would you love that? Would you want to see these seats that are empty filled with people you know and love and that you know want nothing to do with Jesus right now? Because I sure would. I really would. Church, these are the concepts that God has put in front of us, but as we've learned throughout our time uh, in worship over these last two years, we need some time to talk about this together. So I'm going to invite you in just a moment to uh, step into a discussion group and hear the questions for your discussion. Uh, you're going to welcome each other, right? <laughs> we don't do a good job of welcoming each other in our groups. We're not going to have a good conversation. So share your name and just one highlight of your weekend so far. The second conversation is about welcoming others. So we all have stories of not being welcomed well. And those are tough. But I find it's helpful, especially in our breakout groups, to aim positively, aim towards something that we want to pursue together. So in your breakout group, share a story of an experience when someone did a great job welcoming you into their home or into their business or when you started school or, or something. Share a story of someone who welcomed you well. I talked last week about Dick and Judy down in Gig Harbor when they welcomed me into their split-level home and cooked me a great meal and were huge supporters of our ministry. And I'm thankful to God for them. And they welcomed me well. So that's what we get to do now in our breakout groups. Online folks, you should see those questions in the chat. Let me pray for us and then we'll take time and chat together. Mighty God, thank you so much for the chance to talk, to be challenged by the scripture. I pray, Lord, that whatever was spoken just now that was of you would, would sink deeply into our hearts and whatever wasn't of you would be quickly forgotten. Lord, help us to celebrate this gift of harmony and unity you've given to Bethany. And as we learn to welcome and love one another, may we make more room for people who don't know you yet. And may these stories that we share inspire and encourage us to bring your gospel to bear. Bless this time that we now have to talk together, we ask in Jesus' name.